According to data by the FBI, nearly 40% of missing people are people of color, despite people of color only making up about 13% of the population. But the Columbia Journalism Review created a tool that calculates the number of stories your disappearance would net based on demographics and found that missing black people only account for 13% of news stories, while missing white people were featured in 70% of news stories. So before we get into today's story, I want to share with you the story of Janiah Duffy. In July of 2023, a 15-year-old black girl named Janiah Duffy went missing in Georgia. She was last spotted on a street named Tranquility Loop in the town of Lovejoy on July 19th. She was wearing blue shorts and a red jacket. She is 5'7". She weighs about 140 pounds. If you know anything of her disappearance or whereabouts, the Spalding County Sheriff's Office is awaiting your call. Their phone number is 770-467-4282. Welcome back to Mama Mystery. I'm your co-host, Austin, and this is the host, Kelly. Kelly, Kelly go ahead. Well, you totally stole my intro. I really hate it when you do that. I feel like I've held in a sneeze. I don't like it at all. Well, you have 146 others. You got to do it. So let's hear it, babe. What do we got today? Well, today I'm bringing you a story that I just don't know how I feel about. So um, the trial on this story is going to start this November. So I'm just kind of giving you a heads up that this is somewhat ongoing and I don't know whose side I'm on. And so after... really. Yeah, honestly, I I can't. I've been thinking about it a lot, and I just, I don't know. I really don't know. So I'm going to tell you this story. I'm going to try to just deliver the facts as they came to me, and then you'll just have to decide for yourself. But I do want to know your thoughts. I want to know your thoughts, Austin, but I also want to know the listeners what your thoughts are. If you're listening on Spotify, there should be a poll attached to this episode where you can vote. Um, And so I think I'm going to try to set it up to where you can vote whose side you're on. I mean... And we can throw it on the old Instagram story. Yeah. Are you writing this like no bias so that we get to decide for ourselves? Yeah. Or is there a slight bias? No, I really tried to write this with an unbiased voice. Um, I'm just going to tell you everything. I really feel like the way I've written it, you could go either way. I think you probably wrote it great, but I know you well enough that I will know by the end of this episode who you think. Okay. I guess we'll talk about it at the end. You ready? Sure. All right. So Doug Benefield was born in Palo Alto, California on October 2nd of 1961 to Johnny and Suzanne Benefield. He grew up in Huntsville, Alabama and graduated from Huntsville High School in 1980. While he was in school, he proved to be a successful wrestler and athlete. While he was in high school, he secured his spot on the varsity wrestling team all four years, and he was consistently considered to be one of the top 10 wrestlers in the state. After high school, Doug went to Texas A&M to study biology. He earned his degree in 1984 and joined the Navy, completing aviation officer candidate school to become a naval flight officer. He served as a naval flight officer for three years and then served another three years as a mine warfare instructor in Charleston, South Carolina. His younger brother, Dave, said, quote, Doug worked primarily in the defense industry as someone who could match up investors with emerging technology and present it to the relevant branch of the military. 
There were other related projects and startup companies, but the bulk of his work related to defense. He maintained a top secret or secret clearance from his time as a pilot slash electronic warfare aviator in the Navy up until 2020. Doug was widely recognized as a quantum physics expert and futuristic technologies creator, end quote. So he's very, very smart. He's bright. One of the startups Dave was referring to uh, was this restaurant called I'm probably going to butcher this, but it was called Kiva Han or Kaiva Han in Charleston. And I think it was a coffee shop, but it's no longer around. While in Charleston, he met a woman named Renee Kusser. They got married and had a daughter named Eva. But in 2015, when Eva was 15 years old, Renee passed away unexpectedly from an underlying heart condition, leaving Doug to raise Eva by himself. He really stepped up as a parent to her, trying to play both roles. But in interviews that I've seen of Eva, she actually says that even while her mom was alive, she was a little bit closer to her dad. They just had a very special bond. Um, And so even after Renee passed, her mom passed, she still maintained this very close relationship with her dad. And um, I think, you know, that really helped her get through the loss of her mom. Mm -hmm. Supporting her at her lacrosse games, um, he helped her navigate her sports, but also the drama between her friends and boys at school. Like he really played both roles. Then in 2016, Doug Benefield, who was 54 years old, was introduced to Ashley Byers. Ashley was 24 years old and grew up dancing as a ballerina, a very time-consuming and tedious craft that does not leave time for much else. She began dancing at eight years old and struggled with the pressures of the dance world um, paired with a rocky home life. Real quick, Mm -hmm. I wasn't paying good enough attention. Of course. Did you say that he met this chick Mm -hmm. after, like when when was the timeline? Yeah, so he met her after Renee passed away. Renee passed away in 2015. After she passed away, got it. Missed that part. It was about nine months after she passed. Okay, got it. So um, when Ashley grew up, she got married, but she divorced shortly after. Um, And at the same time, her career as a ballerina came to an end. By age 24, she was ready to find love again, pleading to the pages of her journal that she wanted love more than anything. She wrote, quote, I want to be loved and I want to love. Please bring me to that special man you have chosen for me, end quote. In the meantime, she tried to use her classic beauty to her advantage by posing for photographers and building a modeling portfolio, but that didn't really go anywhere either. In 2015, Ashley met Donald Trump, and Donald, being an outspoken aficionado of beautiful women, took to Ashley's charm and good looks. She said that Donald hired her right there on the spot to work for him during his presidential campaign. So she was stationed in the Sarasota, Florida office, and according to her, he made remarks about how impressed he was with her patriotism and her knowledge of firearms. For the record, Donald Trump has been asked if he knows Ashley, and he denies knowing her or ever meeting her. And it's possible that he just meets so many people he doesn't remember her genuinely, but according to her diary... As it's reported in an article um, in Vanity Fair that was written by Alice Robb in 2021, it says, quote, her diary entries show a young woman smitten with Mr. Trump and his attention. In a journal from the winter of 2016 with a psalm printed on each page, 
Ashley recorded in neat schoolgirlish handwriting how flattered she was when Trump asked her opinion on what color tie to wear and when a few days later he called her on the phone. The dude only wears a red tie. <laughs> I don't know. I don't pay that that close of attention. Um, so I guess he called her on the phone and said, she wrote, quote, he said I looked good in his plane. He called me a bombshell. He called me his little girl and his baby. Gross. That's gross. Um, but also he said that he wanted a big fat kiss, according to her, and promised her a job at the White House. And this is all stuff that she wrote in her journal. So I don't know if it's true or not. Whatever. On August 25th of 2016, Ashley was introduced to Doug Benefield while they were at the home of Ben Carson, who was a retired neurosurgeon who considered running for president but dropped out while still showing his support for Donald Trump. Doug was attracted to Ashley not only because of her beauty, but because she was at the party with a small handgun stuffed into her bra. So he gave her the nickname Ashley Oakley after Annie Oakley, the gun-toting sharpshooter featured in Buffalo Bill's Wild West. That night, they exchanged numbers, and they began incessantly texting like two smitten teenagers, disregarding their 30-year age gap. Then two weeks... How old is he? 54. Divide by two, add seven. That's the youngest you're allowed to be with ever. So that would be 28, that'd be 35. And how old is she? 24. It's, a little, it's breaking the rule a little bit, but... It's all right. There's some exceptions. I don't know what they are. <laughs> but did you know that? Divide by two, add seven. Yes, we've talked about that on this podcast before. Huh. The OG listeners will be nodding their heads. Yes, Austin, we know your rule. Yeah, on with the story. And I'm older than you, so you like really didn't abide by the rule at all. You didn't, You just threw that rule. I didn't need that rule. You didn't need it because I'm five years older than you. Anyway, okay, nobody cares. So two weeks after meeting, they got married. What? They did not invite anyone to the wedding. In fact, they didn't even tell anyone that they were getting married. They didn't even tell Doug's 15-year-old daughter, Eva. Holy smokes. So Ashley moved into Doug's house in Charleston and tried to bond with Eva, but Eva wasn't really having it. She had just lost her mom tragically nine months prior, and now her dad appears to be having some sort of midlife crisis, bringing home a brand new wife he's known for five minutes, who is closer to Eva's age than Doug's. Damn. So who can blame her? She's like, I don't want anything to do with you. This is weird, and I don't blame her. Ashley was feeling the strain as well, but not so much because she cared about Eva's acceptance, rather that she was worried Doug would choose Eva over her, as he should if it ever came down to that. But Doug was still very close to Eva. In fact, he would send her a good morning text every single day without fail with a Bible verse attached. Doug was very centered in his faith and shared his love for Christ with his daughter and anyone else who was willing to join him. The following year, in 2017, Ashley and Doug came up with an idea to revolutionize the ballet-slash-dance industry. Ballet was known for its somewhat antiquated look, with slender physiques, elongated muscles, poised posture, and not typically ethnically diverse. And Ashley, having been discarded by this antiquated expectation, sought to change things. And Doug, being the creative, entrepreneurial engineer, felt like he could help. So together, they came up with the idea for a new dance company called the American National Ballet, or ANB. So ANB was off to a seemingly strong start with an influx of funds, provided by Doug, of course. 
Their premiering ensemble was comprised of 47 dancers with a budget of about $2.5 million per year. Each dancer was offered eight-month contracts with benefits and American visas for those who came from other countries like Germany, Argentina, and Estonia. The ballerinas were diverse physically and ethnically, something that went against the grain of your typical troupe of ballerinas, and they were all so ecstatic to finally be given an opportunity to chase their dreams. Prior to arriving in Charleston, the ballerinas were all encouraged to sign a year-long lease at an apartment complex in Charleston with the promise that their studio was actually going to be located on the ground floor of that apartment complex. However, when they would ask for details about the studio or the schedule or the performances, they were met with vague and misleading responses. So the responses would be like, we've got so much in store. And the ballerinas would be like, okay, like what? And like fire like, Festival. Yeah. That's like what? Kind of, yeah. yes. They'd be like, so much, just so much is in store. And they're like, tell me one thing. And they're like, there's just so many I you know can't even choose. It reminds me of? <laughs> what? Something that drives me nuts is when people say, things are happening <laughs> behind the scenes, quietly making moves in silence. No, you're not. <laughs> you're fucking talking about it. I'm just saying. That's a good point. I'm just saying. Anyways, Those people ruffle your feathers. Yes. <laughs> yes. As the ballerinas arrived to their apartments, they were disappointed to learn that the studio they were promised was actually five miles away and not on the ground floor. And not only that, but the studio was tiny. It didn't have any windows. It barely fit the ballerinas during practice. And when it came time for the dancers to be paid, they were paid with envelopes full of cash rather than an official check with like a pay stub attached. This is weird. Yeah, and another big piece of the puzzle was missing, and that was Ashley. Ashley was nowhere to be found that first week that they opened, and Doug promised the dancers that she'd be coming very soon, but they had no idea that she was actually no longer living in Charleston. Oh. Yeah, so soon after launching the company, Ashley learned that she was pregnant, and due to some challenges with her pregnancy, she moved from South Carolina to Florida to be with her mom so that her mom could help take care of her while Doug focused on A&B. As the stressors of opening a new business mounted, tensions grew between Ashley and Doug. Their fairy tale whirlwind romance was crashing and burning just as fast and as hard as it began. They fought frequently and violently. During one of their major blowouts, Doug punched a hole in the wall and even admitted that he hit their dog Sully in the face out of frustration. What the hell? That's pretty rough. This is something he admitted in a written statement saying, quote, Sully started to jump, jump up from under the table and I sadly just hit him, end quote. And from what I've gathered, I believe it's a golden retriever based on pictures. I mean, I'm just kind of putting two and two together. I think it was a golden retriever. We have a golden retriever. I mean, anyone with a heart, honestly, you don't even have to have a dog or a golden to have a heart, you know, to have like the understanding that that's not okay. You can't just smack a living being in the face because yeah. you're mad. Especially a defenseless dog. Yeah, I mean, that like, sucks. that's grow not up. cool to hear. So during another argument, he shot a gun into the ceiling ah, at their house. See, you can't do that either. That's yeah. not something we can just go around doing. Yeah, it, it. he shot a hole in their ceiling in their kitchen. 
So on September 18th, the same day that A&B was supposed to open officially for business, Ashley knew Doug would be at the studio. So she secretly drove from Florida to their home in South Carolina. And she snuck into the house, packed her belongings, and left a note for Doug listing the reasons that she was leaving. She listed over 20 reasons in a bullet point formation, actually. And then she ended the note with the following, quote, All of these things and more I have overlooked and lived with for now a year because I love you. But even since finding out I was pregnant, you have continued to display psychotic, irrational, and unsafe behavior that has left me fearful for my life and safety, as well as that of my unborn child. I have come to get what belongs to me. Do not harass or try to follow me, or I will call the police and have a restraining order against you. From now on, I will only communicate with you through text. End quote. Later that day, when Doug found the note, he texted Ashley saying, quote, I just read the note. I don't even know how to start responding. I am sorry I wasn't a stronger, better man through everything. I will never act the way you talk about again, end quote. But she didn't respond. About a month after the dance studio opened its doors, A&B announced that Ashley would be stepping down from the company, and this was apparently the decision of Michael Wise who was working as a manager for A&B. They needed someone as the face of the company who represented a leadership role. And Ashley wasn't even living in the same state. She hadn't met any of the dancers. She hadn't even stepped foot in the studio since it opened. And then Doug laid off almost half of the dancers, voiding their contracts. Ashley claimed to have no idea, and she went on the company's Facebook page to send the dancers a message. She actually posted this on the Facebook page, and it's still there. So on October 25th of 2017, she wrote, quote, I publicly disavow my support for American National Ballet and its leadership. I have been on personal leave and out of state since the end of August, and I've heard secondhand about the devastation that took place on October 23rd. As the founder, I am completely devastated by what has been done and the way it was done, end quote. She was furious with Doug screaming at him over the phone that he stole her dance company from her. Ashley was still in Florida at this point and still struggling with her health. She assumed that these were all complications from her pregnancy, but the more she thought about it, she realized some of her symptoms started before she became pregnant. Extreme fatigue was the most notable symptom, but after multiple appointments with her doctors and multiple medications to ease the aches and pains that she was experiencing, she volunteered a hair sample to a lab to run some tests and was shocked to see that the results detected dangerous levels of aluminum, cobalt, zinc, tin, and barium, so all these harsh metals. According to Ashley, the lab said that she was systematically exposed to these toxins. Ashley thought back to the times when Doug would bring her hot tea and she would have trouble finishing it because it was just way too sweet. And she'd cautiously ask him to make it less sweet next time and then claimed that he would grow offended and call her an ungrateful bitch. But just a quick note about the lab. This lab is called Carlson Lab out of Colorado and its authenticity has been called into question for producing false results before. In one case, the lab falsely indicated that the plaintiff in a date rape case had GHB levels seven times higher than normal. So, What were they actually? I don't know. That's all that the article said. But um, I guess it's just calling into question the authenticity of this like lab that is an elective lab. It's not tied to the police. It wasn't like she gave it to the police. They gave it to the lab. She sought the lab out herself. Is it a reputable lab? 
Well, that's what I'm saying. I, I don't know. The, so the reason I ask, and I just want to say this, this is probably unrelated, but in, in cards, like sports cards, okay, there's these companies that are deemed as the authority. And there's this one called BBCE, Baseball Card Exchange, and they authenticate unopened boxes of cards. And like, you may have seen this, but like Logan Paul bought what was supposed to be a sealed box of Pokemon cards for like hundreds of thousands of dollars. And they opened it and it would, it had been filled with GI Joe cards. And so, but this is a very, very reputable company and still they're the authority, but they had that one incident that was like, whoa, you guys really messed up. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, since we're trying to be unbiased, I'm just saying I don't take that as one way or the other. Right. Yeah. And I don't think you should. I'm just putting it out there as something to consider. Um, and we can talk more about it. We'll discuss it more at the end. So <clears throat> then Ashley thought of Renee, who passed in 2015, shortly before she met Doug from an underlying heart condition. So according to the same article in Vanity Fair that I referenced earlier, the Mount Pleasant police investigated Renee's death and ran a search on her cell phone where they found that she and Doug had been fighting. And the report states, quote, the decedent stated to her husband how he kicked her over New Year's Eve during their honeymoon and also describes Miss, Mr. Benefield putting a gun to his head in the past, end quote. In a pretrial hearing, Ashley testified that during the fight when Doug shot a gun into the ceiling, he threatened her that he was going to blow his brains out in front of her. And she was screaming and crying and pleading with him to put the gun down because he was scaring her. And that when she shot the gun, she claims that she really thought he shot himself. And she screamed. She smelled the gun smoke permeate their kitchen um, and you know, was probably a little bit relieved, but still shaken up to see that he didn't shoot himself. He just shot the ceiling. Mm -hmm. And then one week later, they welcomed family and friends into their home to celebrate their recent nuptials. So they kind of just brushed it under the rug and kept going. Passed the hole before the family got there? I don't know. She actually says that the reason she went forward with this like little makeshift reception was because she was embarrassed to admit that things weren't going well in their relationship. Mm -hmm. She was probably hopeful. I mean, we've seen this a lot in relationships where there's domestic violence. It takes more than just one instance mm -hmm. often to get somebody to really leave. And we'll see that coming up. So in March of 2018, Ashley secretly gave birth to their daughter without telling Doug. Shortly after, a nasty custody battle began over their daughter. And during the court proceedings, she was trying to get a restraining order while Doug was fighting for shared custody of their baby. In the end, the judge ruled that they share custody and denied Ashley a restraining order, stating, quote, there is not a single scintilla of credible evidence that Miss Benefield has ever been poisoned or suffered from any illness of any poison, end quote. So despite the contention and constant fighting in and out of court, I think many were shocked to learn that Ashley and Doug started spending time together and in late 2018, they started going to couples therapy. Things were still rocky, but it appeared that they were really trying to make it work. But the following summer, Doug actually hired a private investigator to keep an eye on Ashley because he had a feeling that she might be seeing someone else. And the private investigator confirmed those fears. So Doug told Ashley to leave. Then they got back together again, continuing oh, their sessions with their marriage counselor until the counselor found out that Doug was secretly recording their sessions. So she started treating Ashley alone and fired Doug as a client. 
In May of 2020, Ashley reached out to Doug, hoping for reconciliation again. And I realize this sounds like a lot of back and forth off and on, but like I said, it's not uncommon for volatile relationships, especially that have a component of domestic violence, to go through multiple breakups before finally calling it quits for good. I think the highs are so highs and the lows are so low. Mm -hmm. This time, Ashley said that she wanted a fresh start in a new location. She wanted to go to Maryland. And Doug's lawyer was a little nervous and skeptical and warned Doug that Ashley's motive could be to get a new place of residence so that she could eventually try the case in front of a new judge in a new jurisdiction. So she was going to try, I guess his lawyer was afraid that Ashley was going to try her same tricks in just a different city. Mm-hmm. On September 27th of 2020, Ashley and Doug were packing up Ashley's belongings from her mom's house. To move to Maryland. Correct. Of course. That evening, dispatchers in Manatee County received a 911 call around 6 p.m. from a man who said his neighbor had just ran over to his home screaming for help, claiming her husband had just attacked her and she shot him. So first responders confirmed that Doug Benefield was the victim. He had sustained two gunshot wounds in the master bedroom of the house. The medical examiner detailed that one bullet had penetrated the exterior of his right leg and exited from the interior of his leg. The second bullet seemed to have grazed his right bicep before piercing into his chest from the right side. Court documents state, quote, based on the entry wounds on Douglas, it does not appear that he was facing Ashley when she began shooting. It also does not appear that Douglas had taken any kind of defensive or combative stance. End quote. The medical examiner noted that after he was shot, Doug Benefield collapsed, possibly hitting his head on the wall as he fell. fell. A corresponding abrasion was found on the back of his head, aligning with a noticeable mark on the bedroom wall. The police affidavit indicated that a total of four shots were discharged, evidenced by four 45 caliber casings scattered across the master bedroom floor. Additionally, a stray bullet was discovered on the ground, while two others were embedded in the walls of the residence. Approximately six weeks after the shooting on November 4th of 2020, an arrest warrant was issued for Ashley Benefield, accusing her of second-degree murder using a firearm. The arrest affidavit highlighted that when first responders attempted to interrogate her regarding the events, her attorney was already present at the scene promptly advising the police that she would not be providing a statement. However, the affidavit does state that Ashley did make a comment to police about how her ears were still ringing. Within an hour of the shooting, Ashley Benefield was photographed, and then she was photographed again a few days after the shooting. Detectives observed that aside from an old-looking minor scratch on her right side, she had no injuries. As per the affidavit, a witness clarified that Ashley received that scratch a day prior to the shooting when someone carrying a box accidentally brushed past and scratched her. Now, the state claims Ashley Benefield was motivated to kill Doug Benefield, saying since she found out she was pregnant with their child, she actively worked to ensure that he stayed away from their baby. She filed several domestic violence claims in court, but all of them were closed and no criminal charges were ever filed. The affidavit reads, quote, based on these cases and Ashley's actions leading up to the murder of Douglas Benefield, it appears that the main focus of these complaints was to keep the child away from Douglas. 
It appears Ashley had exhausted all legal means of keeping the child away from Douglas before the shooting, end quote. So a judge set Ashley Benefield's bond at $100,000, which she paid. So she now has a court-issued curfew of 11 p.m. and is required to wear an ankle monitor at all times. The former ballerina now lives with her mother and five-year-old daughter, and court documents show that she has been able to adjust her curfew when needed and has even traveled to Maryland for a wedding. Due to financial hardships, a judge granted Ashley's defense team's request to waive the monthly cost of $120 for the ankle monitor maintenance. In February of 2023, Ashley's defense team filed a motion for dismissal, claiming that she shot and killed her husband in self-defense. And the 105-page motion lays out her side of the story, explaining what happened leading up to the deadly shooting. So I just want to explain really quick how this process works because it took me a moment to understand it. But Florida has a stand your ground rule or law Mm -hmm. where you have the right to defend yourself if there's imminent danger. Defend yourself with a gunshot. Correct. You can kill somebody if you feel like your life is in danger. However, there are stipulations. And typically before you or if this is going to be your defense, you go in front of a judge first to see if he believes that your case should be dismissed. If there's plenty of evidence to prove that, yeah, you were acting in self-defense, the judge can say, yes, you're immune from persecution, prosecution, and we can just dismiss this. Mm-hmm. Or the judge can say, I don't believe that there is enough evidence, mm-hmm. so you're going to have to go in front of a jury. So this 105-page motion lays out her side of the story of that night, and here's basically what it says. It says, Ashley Benefield was preparing to move to Maryland with her mother and daughter. Ashley was staying at their home, but Doug Benefield was living in a temporary apartment. Doug was planning to move to Maryland with Ashley and their child, but they planned to live separately. Doug showed up at their home around 5.30 p.m. Ashley Benefield's mother took their daughter to the splash pad. While packing up a U-Haul outside and in the garage, Doug's mood was consistent to his prior history, happy, hyper, and animated, then agitated, sullen, and intimidating. Doug allegedly became angry, screaming, quote, we are moving together as a family, making a fresh start, but you're dividing us. It's time you start acting like a wife, end quote. Later, Doug Benefield allegedly drove a moving box directly into Ashley Benefield in an upward motion resulting in considerable pain and scratches to her right side. Ashley tried to leave their home, but Doug Benefield allegedly grabbed her by the left hand, yanked her backward, and asked her where she was going. He's accused of wagging his finger in her face, stating, you can't leave me. Ashley snapped, yelling at him to leave. Quote, raising his right hand with a closed fist, the decedent drove his knuckles at the second joint into the left side of Miss Benefield's head. Her worst fears realized Miss Benefield now believed her life was in danger. End quote. Ashley Benefield ran into the master bedroom and grabbed a gun that she legally owned. Doug Benefield allegedly followed her and he barged into the bedroom with a fierce scowl. Ashley Benefield pointed the gun at Doug and ordered him to leave her alone and leave the home. And then it says, quote, he postured like a mixed martial arts fighter, blading, hands parallel with his chest, shoulders, moving his arms, hands in circular motions and advanced towards her according to the motion. Like a karate guy. I guess. I mean, when if you if you act it out as you're saying it, 
Like he postured like a mixed martial arts fighter, blading hands parallel with his chest, shoulders, moving his arms, hands in a circular, small circular motions. Like he's, Mm -hmm. he's just ready to. Like he's karate chopping. I guess. It's interesting. I, I don't know. Ashley shot at Doug and then Doug allegedly kept moving towards her. So she kept shooting. She saw the deceased legs go up in the air as if his feet slipped out from underneath him and he fell backward. That stuff doesn't match the gunshot wounds. Correct. Got it. Yes, it doesn't. It does not match the medical examiner's report. So Ashley Benefield ran to a neighbor's home yelling for help and then two neighbors out walking their dogs saw her running outside with the gun crying and screaming help. So in the motion for dismissal, Ashley Benefield's attorneys added evidence, documents, and photos supporting their case. And I'll have those pictures on our Instagram at mama.mysterypodcast for those of you who want to see them for yourself. There's really not much to see, though. Mm -hmm. You can see her torso. um, You see that she's wearing a bra, but her shirt is off. It's to probably show if there were injuries to her abdomen because she claims that he shoved that box into her but you don't really see injuries that would support that. Mm-hmm. Now, the defense included photos of Doug Benefield that showed his impeccable physique and strength along with the cut on the side of Ashley Benefield's body that she allegedly received from the moving box. However, that witness said she received the day prior. Um, and then there was a previous photo of Ashley with a black eye that was from another time, apparently. And the picture that I have is in black and white, so it's hard to tell it's hard to see that it's really a black eye. It almost just looks like a high contrast photo. I'm not trying to minimize it if it is a black eye. I'm just trying to be unbiased and say it doesn't look like your typical black eye, especially when compared to her other eye. It looks like maybe she's been crying a lot. I mean, I don't know. You can tell me your thoughts. And the defense says that those injury photos were taken the day of the shooting. Did the defense team also attach depositions that Doug Benefield made while detectives were investigating Ashley's domestic violence claims? And in the depositions, Doug made several admissions to violent behavior that we talked about earlier. So he has a record of being violent. Mm -hmm. In July of 2023, Ashley went in front of the judge to see if the judge would dismiss her case based on Florida Stand Your Ground Law. So now in Florida, an individual does have the right to confront an imminent threat of violence without the obligation to retreat. So essentially, that just means you have the right to defend yourself. But if you have a chance to escape, you need to do that first Mm -hmm. before you just resort to shooting somebody. So the law gives you immunity from prosecution if you are within the bounds of justifiable homicide. But situations that do not justify self-defense include where someone is on the premises unlawfully or they are engaged in criminal activity. So like if you're already somewhere you shouldn't be, that doesn't give you the right to shoot somebody that's coming after you. That's Mm -hmm. basically what that's saying. Um, It also says someone is attempting to commit a forcible felony. So if you are in the act of committing a forcible felony, you don't have the right to shoot someone. If you're robbing a bank, you can't shoot somebody and claim self-defense. Yes. I know that this is all easy to understand, but the way that it's written, all it says is, Someone is attempting to commit a forcible felony. Well, who is someone? That's why I'm clarifying it because I feel like that could be confusing. The third one says someone is escaping the premises after committing a forcible felony. Well, we kind of already touched on that. And then the fourth one says that the defendant intentionally provoked the other party leading to a confrontation. And then the fifth one says the other party attempted to withdraw from the situation or leave the premises. 
And so I think that fifth one, that last one, is where Doug tried to turn away. You know, the medical Mm -hmm. examiner's report says that he was turned away. He was not approaching her. He wasn't in a combative stance when he was shot. So I think that right there, I mean, I'm just assuming. That's what's eliminating her from that. Right. Because the judge denied her claim of self-defense, saying, quote, the competent and substantial evidence presented to the state proves clearly and convincingly that the defendant is not entitled entitled to court-ordered immunity from criminal prosecution as she was not justified in using deadly force against the victim on September 27th of 2020, end quote. And the judge goes on to say that the state has proven by clear and convincing evidence that the victim's homicide was not a singular act of necessary self-defense, but was instead the culmination of a lengthy, concerted effort by the defendant to eliminate the victim from her life and the life of their child. When the defendant's efforts to enlist the assistant of law enforcement, child protective services, and the de- oh my God, why can't I say this word? Judicial system failed, she took matters into her own hands. So now her case will have to go in front of a jury and her trial is scheduled to begin on November 29th of 2023. So I will be watching that and I'll be sure to update you as this story continues to develop. Doug's daughter, Eva, has been very outspoken about this entire case. She has a TikTok. It's got over 300,000 followers on it. She's spoken out about it and she is in defense of her dad, of course, Um I with I I want to have respect for Eva and for Doug and his family. But at the same time, I don't feel like I have enough evidence to make a decision either way, whether I think it was self-defense or not. I think the medical examiner's report stating that he was turned away from her is important and that is huge. I think that's a very important piece of evidence. I do. But I also do think that maybe there were times that she felt threatened if he was shooting a gun inside their home or admitted to punching holes in walls and punching their dog out of frustration. Mm-hmm. So it's like I can I, I truly feel like I can see both sides and I don't lean one way or the other. I kind of feel like I'm just sitting here in the middle. I feel like I have a pretty confident answer. Okay, let's hear it. And the reason I feel so confident about this is because without like I don't need love pity, but like I've seen and been around a lot of abusive relationships. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like very, very abusive. And I know, babe. so I think that, I think that what probably happened, I think in the court of law, she's going to be charged with murder, but you think she's going to be found guilty. Yeah. She's going to be found guilty. But I think that she probably, it was obviously super tumultuous. It was terrible. Right. And, she probably he probably scared the shit out of her a lot. She probably went nuts. I mean, they just had a nuts up and down relationship, like we've seen a million times in these stories. Mm-hmm. And I think that, yeah, she obviously took the chance one day that was it was a terrible fight going on, and her emotions got the best of her, and she shot him, and then immediately went like, shit, I need to paint a little alibi for the last part where he was coming at me with karate hands. I think that part, I think it was probably like an insanely heightened emotion, like terrible argument they were having. And she shot her, she shot him. And then she added the part of, oh, he was coming at me because she got those attorneys right on the ball and they were a stand your ground. Mm-hmm. So I, I see what you're saying. And I, I do think that it's interesting and, you know, important that she, 
had made all these claims before and was fighting him so much in court and kept getting dismissed, dismissed, dismissed. Mm -hmm. And then I do think it's curious that she wanted to move to Maryland and that maybe Doug's lawyer did have a point that maybe she was trying to get this scene in front of a new judge to just get him out of her life. Um, because there were a, there was a psychologist in the case who had been interviewing them and was going to give their report to the judge, but Doug died before he was ever able to do that. And this doctor said that Ashley showed no interest in getting back together, but that Doug didn't believe in divorce. And so was she playing him and saying, let's go to Maryland and work this out because she just wanted to get him up there to try it in front Mm -hmm. of a different judge? Like, I could see that being a plausible thing. But also, I also thought, you know, there's a 30-year age gap, 24 years old. I didn't know shit when I was 24 years old. I look at some of the things that I did or the way that I acted when I was 24, and that is not indicative of the person I am today Mm -hmm. as a 35-year-old. So when I'm thinking about a 24-year-old with a 54-year-old, I have to kind of question like, what were what were you thinking getting with a 24-year-old? Were you using your age and your status and your success? It was Punani. Well, but hold That's- on. But like, were you using this to take advantage of a young, impressionable, vulnerable 24-year-old because she's pretty and she's a ballerina and she's hot? Like, yeah. you know, but that's what I'm saying is like, you are culpable for taking advantage of a young girl too. Like, I don't feel like anybody is really that innocent in this situation. I guess that's ultimately what I'm getting yeah, at. Yeah, because because I think I think she probably shot him, not with the stand your under the stand your ground provision. I think she probably shot him. But at the same time, I can see how like I don't blame you for shooting him. You know what I mean? I, don't I, know. I know that sounds terrible. And I don't mean that. Obviously, it's not okay to go around and shoot people like save your letters. <laughs> but, but you know what I mean? I'm just saying like, man, who knows what she was going through? Maybe she did feel unsafe. Not in that moment she was going to be killed, but like she was just, she felt like she couldn't get out. I don't know. It sucks. And we will never know the truth. Right. That's what I was just going to say. I was like, there's so much to this story. We don't know. Eva, I'm sure like, I, I kind of hope she's not listening to this because I'm not trying to upset anybody that obviously feels very strongly for one side of this story, because I get that. I completely get why you, why you would want to protect your father and his legacy, right? And his brother, Dave, has created a website in honor of Doug, memorializing him, talking about his accolades and things like that, and talking about what a Christ-focused, Christ-like man he was and how he was very much into his faith and and all these things. I mean, painting him in the most perfect light, of course you would. This is your relative, your brother, and now he's gone. He can't defend himself. But these other things do still exist. Mm-hmm. And he did admit to them in writing. And so it's kind of like there's obviously a lot of information here that we don't have. And that goes without saying. Every episode we ever do on any podcast, that on any podcast you listen to, not just ours, on any podcast you listen to, you're getting 30 minutes to an hour, whatever, a snippet of information. And it's like watching a reality TV show and thinking that you know the people on the show because you've seen a 30-minute edited spliced clip of hours and hours and hours of footage. And that's only footage from their life. You're not living with them then, 24-7. There's obviously going to be stuff that you're missing. And then like, I feel like you who did all the research all day long and everything, you're like comparable to someone who was there that day for the reality show. But still, nobody knows what goes on with these people's lives and relationships and the history those people have with one another. Right. You know? Yeah. I saw this quote the other day. Let me find it really quick. 
Okay, it says social media gives us a perception of access to people's lives without relationship with them so that we think we know people based on what they choose to share. It's a warped view. There are a million layers to a person that will never be revealed by the posts they make. Mm -hmm. Just like there will never be enough information that I can give you to give you the full context of this story within 30 minutes to an hour. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I don't know. I At the end of the day, this is why I'm torn. I, I don't know whose side I'm on. I'm not on I anybody's agree. side, I guess. I'll just watch the trial. I'll see if there's new revelations that come out that are like, okay, that pushed me more to this person's side or that person's side. I'm going to pay attention to it. Um, we'll see as more things come out because more things will come out. They're going to keep things close to the vest, you know, before the trial starts. Mm -hmm. So um, I guess just stay tuned. But I really want to know your thoughts. Please be kind about it. I don't want this to like trigger anyone or, you know, make people argumentative if you are leaning hardly, you know. No tears. If you're leaning heavily one way or the other, just be nice about it. All right. And anyway, until next week, Austin. Mama. <laughs> mystery out. Bye. Only 15 tickets left to Mom Mystery Live October 26th. Actually, there's only nine. Ooh.